Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Church and Culture Podcast. Um, first, can I just take a second to just thank everyone who has been tuning in and just making this a regular part of your week. The encouragement that we've received has been overwhelming, and we are truly grateful to just to have this space where we can engage important topics from culture from a Christian perspective. So again, thank you for that. Um, we're glad that it's been worthwhile. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Um, today, like every week, Dr. James Emery White or James as you'll hear me, hear me address him. Um, we're going to dive into the headlines, examine um, cultural trends, and we're going to consider how the church might respond, both with wise thinking and also wise action. So today we're going to talk about anger. Um, if you subscribe to Jim's twice weekly blog, blog on church and culture, you'll already have a little bit of background for this conversation. And while we won't always be able to dedicate the podcast to those blogs, I just couldn't resist this week because I feel like this is such a important issue and one in which there's so much overlap between the secular world and the Christian world in terms of how we're engaging with anger. So um, if you haven't had a chance to read the blog, um, I'd love maybe Jim, if you would give, um, give our listeners or maybe set the stage for what's going on in culture, you know, that maybe prompted you to write that about anger. Well, I think the whole world's talking about anger. I mean, it's, it's just erupting in in ways that is unprecedented for at least our contemporary world. Uh, road rage has exploded. Um, nurses are having to wear warning alert buttons, you know, because of their being attacked. We all have heard stories about what's happening on airplanes and people not wanting to mask up and almost like an MMA fight on the flight. Um, the speeding on the roads, you know, just people just, just darting like crazy. It's a movie set. Um, and uh, it's, it's just, of course, then at the Oscars, the slap heard around the world. And so we, we have this, this anger that has erupted over the last, uh, I think it's been very more pronounced since COVID, the last two years. It's gotten our attention. It seems like it's just gotten out of control, although we can probably talk a bit later about whether this is a new thing or not. But um, that was the point of the blog. And it's gotten so bad that, that people are rushing to try to figure out what is causing this, what is happening to our culture and our world and our interpersonal relationships. And so uh, that was something of the context of the, the blog, blog was going to explore. Sure. And we'll get into um, some of that in just a minute in terms of what the potential causes are. But I, I did think that a helpful way to start this conversation, especially from a Christian perspective, is probably to just admit that right, the problem when it comes to anger is in the room, right? Like in other words, this isn't just about those people, you know, the people who are writing, you know, the hate mail or the nasty blogs or um, who are trolling extremists, you know, bullies that this is about us too. Like we are those people, or at least we have the potential to be those people, or perhaps we've become them without even realizing it. Um, and, and actually, Jim, would you agree that maybe there are more of us who are struggling with anger than realize it about ourselves? Oh, I, I think so. Uh, I think we're, um, but let me, let me back up and talk about Christians in anger a bit to kind of frame some things. Um, Christians have been some of the worst, quite frankly, when it comes to anger uh, of late and expressing anger and, and being unrestrained there. And by the way, anger is one of the seven deadly sins. And anger is, is denounced throughout scripture, at least wrongful anger. 
Uh, Proverbs 14 has a verse that says, um, you know, anger makes you do foolish things. And when you give into it, you, you, you're, you're the fool. Um, the breakdown for Christians seems to be, and this is something that I don't know if you and I have even had a private conversation ever about. When it comes to the Christian life and spiritual formation, uh, most Christians know about orthodoxy, which is right thinking, right doctrine. Uh, fewer know about orthopraxy, which is right practices. Um, you don't ever hear people talk about orthopathy, which is right feelings, right emotions. And it's almost like, wait, we can't talk about spiritual formation with our emotions. Oh, yes, we can. And we are too. That's what anger is. It is an emotion that is under our control. It is not independent of our spiritual lives. And the opposite of anger is restraint is purposeful, intentional restraint. And so we need to get a handle on what is right emotions, orthopathy, uh, and add that to the discipleship mix and add it to the spiritual formation mix. Because right now, it's like we're just acting like that's not even something that we need to pay attention to. That is such an interesting perspective and um, really needed because you're right. Like I haven't heard that before. If anything, I feel like the message is you can't control your feelings. Yes, you can control what you do with them, but your feelings are just, they're just a natural part of who you are and there's nothing that you can do about them. But you're saying that maybe that's not fully true. Well, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. And if you say, well, I can't help it. I'm an emotional person or I have these feelings and it makes me act this way. Uh, your emotions are not your God your emotions are not out of control. You are in control of your emotions. That's why anger, wrongful anger is a sin. It is something that we choose to give into, we choose to pursue, or in all kinds of emotions. Uh, you know, emotions are something that are to be a matter of spiritual discipline. So, okay, so along that, that, that um, thought then, you're certainly gonna have the people say, but Jesus was anger or it was, excuse me, he was angry. I mean, he threw the, the money changing tables. He said some pretty, you know, um, some, some tough words. And so when you say rightful anger, can you define that a little more? Yeah. Um, righteous anger is when you respond appropriately to something, um, with anger. In other words, to not reply in anger, to not respond with anger would be itself a sin. So, for example, is it right to feel anger? Um, and when you see what uh, is happening in Ukraine, is it right to feel angry when you uh, hear about a child that was abused or molested? There's a there's a place for that kind of anger that is righteous anger. It's anger at the um, at it at the action at at the sin. You're angry at the sin. Um, Jesus uh, overturned the money uh, the money tables because he was angry that the house of God had been so compromised. Um, he had love for those people, but he had anger at, the, at what was happening. And so I think we really need to separate what is righteous anger and what is just you just being an angry person and responding in anger. It's something that you really, you know, they cut you off on the road. Getting angry at that is not righteous. Well, I think, I think a, a part of this conversation is when it's personal. Um, cause I think it's one thing to say, I'm angry about what's happening over there, but when we feel victimized or when we feel, um, like something has happened to us, then anger, I think can take a different, different tone to it, or maybe it's have still not justified. Yeah. Um, for example, you know, we, we talk about, um, and you hear this phrase used all the time, you know, turn the other cheek. We, we, and we take that out of context. 
Uh, that's from Matthew 5, part of the Sermon on the Mount. And what turning the other cheek was about, um, well, let me just give you the biblical background. In that day, um, if somebody wanted to insult you, they would slap you with the back of their hand on the cheek when they insulted you, okay? Jesus said, if they insult you, don't respond in anger. I mean, don't, don't, don't you know, be, be the adult in the room. Just say, you know, well, you know, turn the other cheek. Let them insult you again. It's, and it's, it's just rise above that. Be the mature person. And so it was, uh, that's what that phrase means and what the context of it was. And so there isn't a personal justification if somebody insults me or does something that is uh, unkind to me. I'm not justified in responding in anger and or in like manner where now I'm justified to respond or retaliate. Um, and then they pulled in another verse out, you know, eye for an eye. And that's not what that means either. Eye for an eye, which is an Old Testament reference, was that um, it it was about if your your whatever punishment there is in a judicial system needs to be the punishment should not go cannot go beyond what is appropriate so like you know an eye for an eye it can't be an arm and a leg for an eye and so it was all about putting into uh, people's thinking um justice that was not be, that did not become a personal vendetta that did not become something where now I'm able to just do whatever I want to do in response to retaliation. Also, it was a corporate idea, not a personal one. I don't have the right for an eye for an eye, but the justice system does. And so, um, and that's another aspect of anger, uh, you know, is um, turning the other cheek and the eye for an eye principle doesn't mean that you can't work through a judicial system for justice, but I don't go on a personal vendetta. Um, it's not up to me to take it upon myself to exercise, obviously, anger in retaliation. So the teachings that you mentioned about anger in the Bible, I mean, they're not new, right? This is not like new things that Christians are learning for the first time. So why is it then that the Christians or Christians or the church are really struggling with it now more than ever before? Well, I think it's because we're not having conversations about orthopathy. I think it's, we're not putting that into the conversations about what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so as a result, Christians are behaving badly and they're not even blushing. They're, they're, they, they don't, they're, they're, they're not even seeing it as sin. It's almost like they've, they've muted the Holy Spirit's work of conviction in their life in that area. And, and that's, that's as the way sin works. Um, uh, and I, I say this with experience because I'm a sinner. <laughs> the, the way it works is the more you sin in a particular area, the more, uh, uh, the less acute conviction gets. You just you 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 give yourself into it. To after a while, like I said, you don't even blush. You don't you don't even. Um, uh, it's almost like the more you pursue sin in that area, it's like a dose of novocaine in your soul, and you you lose feeling there. And pretty soon, it actually goes to where you're justifying the behavior. You're actually making your bad behavior a spiritual badge of honor, like like your 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 misuse of anger. You pat yourself on the back because you're some kind of crusader or something. Uh, and so it really can get very warped in the Christian community because what we tend to do, if we don't repent of something, if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit in an area, we tend to then do the other thing. We spiritually justify it and make ourselves a spiritual rationalization for the pursuit of it. 
you, you mentioned about how, when we don't address our sin, we can become desensitized to it. And I wonder if that's a really important part of this conversation. If we have be, become desensitized, um, to things, um, that are making us more upset or, or that we're not even be able to acknowledge that our degree of anger or our objects of anger are not appropriate. What do you think in terms of the input in our lives are increasing or contributing to that desensitization? What a wonderful thing to bring up. Uh, first of all, one, one thing about the sins, there's classically two types of sins, sins of the flesh and sins of the spirit. Um, what the Christian community has tended to focus on is sins of the flesh. What you and I are talking about are sins of the spirit. And so that's just, that, that's where it gets deep. When you start talking about anger or pride or envy, some of those things. Now, to your point, how much is what we're feeding ourselves, feeding our anger? Well, um, you can feed yourself things that just make you suspicious where you weren't suspicious. You can feed yourself something where you get all riled up where you weren't riled up. You can, you, can, um, you can expose yourself to things that make, that add to the polarization of our day and the emotions of our day. And that's one of the things that I, I really have, I've blogged on this multiple times and I've talked about it multiple times. Um, you know, junk in, junk out, <laughs> you know, garbage in, garbage out. And we're, what we're watching uh, on, on TV or cable or the blogs that we follow or the, um, the podcasts that we listen to, they're, they're just so many of them are incendiary and they're wanting to be incendiary. I mean, they, they get better ratings when they get people angry, when they get people uh, frustrated, when they, when they make them suspicious, when they, when they chase after maybe a conspiracy theory, they get better ratings. And so I, I wish that more Christians would realize that they're being manipulated and they're being emotionally manipulated. And, and they're, they're feeding themselves these things that keeps them in this exercised state. So they're like ready to go off. Well, that makes it very hard to be in spiritual control. So one of the things is watch what you're feeding yourself. Watch. And so, so here's, here's the test. If you, I, I'm not even, I'm not even trying to be political about this. If you watch a particular show or po podcast or something and, and Nine times out of 10, when it's over, you're just mad at something. You're mad at somebody. Uh, maybe you shouldn't watch it anymore. Yeah. Uh, when you were saying that, like junk in, junk out, I was trying to think of like, what is that filter? Like, what is that filter that helps you to take things in and then realize this is junk? I need to send it out. Um, you were saying if it makes you angry, that's one. What are some other clues? Yeah. Well, you know, Paul says, you know, um, think on such things. What is pure? What is noble? What is right? What is true? Think on those things. So I, I think that one of the, the most important things you can do is feed yourself on the fruit of the spirit and the virtues. And, um, and then, and when you catch yourself, even ask yourself basic things. Am I giving this person the benefit of the doubt? Is this really an offense that I should take to that level? Um, what does it say that when that happened, I went zero to 60? You know, and so I think we need a spiritual detox of our of our of our inner um, emotions, and where we don't live on junk food all the time, but go deeper on that, um, so that you're really able to look at people, particularly people, through the eyes of Christ. There is someone made in the image of God, who God dearly loves, who probably is you know going through all kinds of challenges we could never imagine. And they're in 
probably most areas are probably doing the best they can. And, and, you know, you, you love grace bestowed on you. Um, but you need to learn to bestow it on others. What about when we are on the receiving end of criticism? Cause I feel like this is been a really toxic place for anger is that we don't know how to handle criticism correctly, especially because we're in a world now where, um, we are receiving criticism on so many more fronts than ever before, you know, throughout social media or as a blog. I mean, you, you know, this more than I do, you're much more of a public figure. So you're getting emails, you're getting comments and calls and all of the things. And so how do you, I mean, you can speak personally, but then also more generally, how do we receive criticism, um, better so that we yeah. are not, you know, off the hinges every time we get, uh, you know, something that's critical. Well, first I'll answer it personally. Uh, Stuart Briscoe once said that there are three qualifications of a pastor, uh, the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child and the hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> I don't think anybody does super well with the hide part. It's always the hardest for anyone in leadership or a pastor or someone else. Um, you know, like most people, you can get uh, 99 positive emails or text messages a, a day and one that is negative. And which one do you tend to take home? You take home the negative one and that's one you live with. And so <clears throat> what I've learned to do is to remind myself of those very facts and to purposefully not let certain things have real estate in my life that is disproportionate to what other things should have in my life. And so <clears throat> I learned this actually very early on that um, in something I actually wrote about in one of my books, uh, what they didn't teach you in seminary, the 10, 10, 80 principle, which is that 10% of people are going to love you that you work with and lead 10% are not <laughs> and 80% are suspending judgment to see whether you're faithful and have integrity and have compassion toward them. What most leaders tend to do is focus all of their attention on the 10% who, who dislike them. You know, I'm going to win you over. I'm going to make you trust me. I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to do what I can. <clears throat> and they really ignore the 80%. That's not a winning strategy. Uh, love on that 10% as they will allow you. But then you have to just say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go, like Jesus said, where there's reception. And sometimes you have to wipe the dust off your feet and move on. And so in focus on that 80% that it can join the 10% and, and life's a lot happier that way. And so, um, you know, that's, that's part of the criticism is, is toughening up your hide and reminding yourself of some of these things, because most of the time, you know, we, we always talk about, you always need to get that kernel of truth from every criticism and that's true. But we also need to remind ourselves that most critics, what they're criticizing you about says more about them than you. Well, and I think that there's a difference between receiving criticism at the end of a long, like when your tank is empty, right. Versus, um, receiving criticism when, you know, you're, you're in a great place, you know, with God, you're, you're, you know, secure with who you are. Um, and so I think that I kind of want to shift to you talk. Oh, uh, can I, can, oh yeah. You, you go ahead. Sorry. That is so true. I mean, just this past week, I, I mean, I, there were, there were times where, um, there was one day where my tanks were low. And a very innocuous conversation, I could just tell, was starting to get me heated. You know, I was just starting to get defensive or, or frustrated. And then, but in, in a normal day, maybe even six hours earlier, uh, I would have just smiled and said, hey, let's talk more about that. That's really interesting. 
So it, it is. And, and, and I think that's part two of handling anger is guarding the rhythms of your life. And in fact, I even have found that I have certain times of the day that it's better for me to interact with people than others. And that, um, and that I have to watch the natural rhythms of my life in terms of my tanks so that I don't put myself in vulnerable situations. And we talk about putting ourselves in vulnerable situations sexually. Um, we need to talk about how do we put ourselves in vulnerable situations emotionally? Well, and something that you talked about in your blog, it's just the realization that um, in general, we are living in a culture that has emptied our tanks. You know, we're, we're living in a national pandemic where we've been dealing with isolation. We've been dealing with, you know, insecurity at work, a whole score of things, stress in the house. And so everybody is kind of functioning from a lower, um, with lower tanks as of late. But that said, I think that you, I think it was in your blog, or maybe we just talking about it. There's a difference between acknowledging and naming those types of things, and then using them as excuses to validate bad behavior. What's that balance? Yeah, I, I think that's very well put. I think that um, it's been a tough couple of years. A lot of us feel like we've been hit by a truck emotionally, and we have been. Um, so, but that doesn't mean that we are not in control of our emotions. We can't seek out emotionally replenishing experiences that we that doesn't give us a license to sin as a result of our emotions. It just means that hey, it's been a little bit harder the last couple of years. But what we've been through is nothing compared to what many Christian saints have been through emotionally, um, you know, whether it's torture or persecution or all kinds of things. And so um, we shouldn't just, um, you know, what, what I think was, was revealed, and, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, I think we were all uh, flabby and out of shape spiritually in some of these areas. And when COVID came, uh, we were just, we were just hit far harder than we should have been. And we reacted badly, far more than we should have reacted. And we just didn't have that tank cared for spiritually at all. Um, uh, and so I do think that this has been a cultural trend for a while. Um, I remember writing 20 years ago about how we were entering the age of rage. And uh, Deborah Tannen, sociologist, wrote uh, a book called um, the art, I think it was called the argument culture. It's been a, a several years since I read it. But I think it was called the argument culture. But her whole point was, was that we don't talk anymore. We litigate. We, we don't try to work things out. We just sue. We don't uh, go meet up with someone and, and, and give them benefit of that and talk. We just hit social media and start saying whatever we want to say in a way that's reckless and irresponsible and certainly not a, a demonstration of Christian community. And so so I think that what happened with the pandemic, like many other things, it accelerated it. And this behavior is one that we have been increasingly uh, owning as Christians, meaning like, like I'm, I'm going to sin this way and, and sin in anger, and I'm not even going to call it sin. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm going to rip apart a church. Or I'm going to rip apart another Christian, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to go on a war path on whatever I want. And I'm going to find a justification spiritually for it so that nobody can critique my bad behavior as I'm doing it. And this is the thing, Even what, what, what really makes it toxic is you can be right about what you're, you know, the way about something, but then use the rightness of that to justify bad behavior. Mm. And so it, it, this, this whole thing needs a lot of um, deepening maturity in terms of how we go about things. 
Well, and if we think it's difficult for us as adults, I mean, imagine what it's like for kids, because something that I think isn't, you know, um, as well known is that kids are really struggling with this too. In fact, um, our church um, recently launched this on-demand class about um, for parents to understand what technology is doing to their kids. I think we can link that in the show notes, but um, it quotes this recent study that was done that asked kids essentially, you know, would you say that you bully other kids? Like, have you bullied someone in the past six months? And the majority, I think it was 70 percent said, of course not. No. But then when they were giving, given a list of behaviors that qualified as bullying behaviors, like name calling, you know, sharing fake and false information, you know, in order to damage somebody purposefully excluding someone, it was absolutely the reverse. 70% of them had indicated that they did those things. And so like the kids are struggling with this too. So it makes me wonder, like, is this a parenting flaw, you know, a cultural indicator, you know, a reason, another reason never to have children <laughs> or, you know, what do we do with that for kids? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, two things come to my mind when you raise that. First, of all, I, me- I remember reading that very study. It was it was eye opening. Um, kids are going to mimic what they see in their parents. So if they're seeing road rage, if they're sitting in the back seat seeing mom and dad get mad about all kinds of stuff, or uh, see the way they react to various things, hear how they talk to each other as adults, that's going to form a child about what's legitimate or illegitimate behavior. Um, second, a parent um, often is very concerned about uh, behavior, but they're often less concerned about character. And uh, when you parent for character, it, it's, it's as well as obedience, as well as for behavior. But when you parent for character, it's it's not like, Johnny, don't don't hit your sister. It's going and saying, Johnny, that wasn't kind. That's not how we treat each other. You know, you don't hit, but you don't hit because that's not the way you interact. That's not how you deal with your frustrations. And so you talk and you train them about how do you deal with frustrations? And you talk about it from a character or virtue or value-based approach, not simply um, don't ever hit your sister. Don't ever leave your bike out in the rain. You know, we're after behavior modification. But what you want is for them to, it's not that you just want a child to act a certain way. You want them to want to act a certain way and have that action come from within because of a sense of true north and a moral compass. Well, it also reminds me too of what you said about guarding the input, right? Like kids just don't have that maturity to be able to always filter what they're bringing in. And so as parents, like that's our job to help them know, or to say, no, you cannot watch this, read this, you know, um, see this or whatever. Now we're, we're about to run out of time. So I thought, how about for, um, the last, our last question here, could you maybe just make a case or talk specifically to Christians about why it is that this matters so much, you know, how we handle anger in terms of our witness to a watching world. Why do Christians really need to get this right? Oh, wow. I mean, I mean, that's low hanging fruit. I mean, if I react in anger and a posture of anger to a world that is consumed with anger, then I'm not offering the world anything it doesn't already have. And so what is going to break the message of Christ out into an anger culture is if it's met with a restrained spirit, one that does not react in anger, one that does turn the other cheek, one that doesn't go beyond an eye for an eye or seek, you know, personal vendetta, one that, um, you know, slows the car down and just lets them in, you know, instead of speeding up and making it, you know, uh, some kind of, um, you know, I'm going to, you know, 
I started to say something I didn't, didn't need to say. A something contest, <laughs> you know, some people want to do. But you know, you you just you you go through it differently, and to where they look at you and they say, you know, how 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 incredible would it be if someone said literally, why aren't you angry like the rest of us? And then you say, well, because of Jesus. <laughs> but when they say, why are you more angry than the rest of us? And if we say because of Jesus, that's a problem. Absolutely. Oh, this has been such a great conversation. I feel like we could have talked for another half hour, but um, we want to respect everybody's time. So thank you guys for joining us um, today and every week. And again, we hope that you'll join us next week. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.